Welcome to That's Deep, Bro. Uh, serious questions with silly people. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. And uh, it's, you know, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. It's been a wacky, wacky month. I've been kind of keeping it under wraps just because it's like, it's so cray cray. Uh, my mother, my mother finally died in physically anyway. she's She and I, have, as you know, we've had a strained relationship for, I haven't spoken to her in eight years. And um, I've been mourning her death. For for I would say eight years, and um, finally she has shed this mortal coil, and she is no longer with us in 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 the flesh. And it's complicated, bros. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna say that I don't go through weird shit every other day. <laughs> I do, I do, um, and I'm gonna talk about it today within the context of mental illness. A lot of you have asked me to do an episode on it for a long time, and I, I think now is a great time. Because my mother was very mentally ill, and uh, it it really wreaked havoc on my family, and on me, and uh, on her, <laughs> on her mostly. Uh, so yes, mental illness, um, specifically borderline personality disorder, which is what she had, and then later schizophrenia. It developed into schizophrenia, and also death. You know, it's not a pleasant topic. I know people love to um, pretend like it's not going to happen to you to us but it does and you know (sighs) is it that scary is there really nothing at the end of this tunnel is that all there is i don't know i mean look half this planet believes in reincarnation what's that all about maybe maybe this won't be your only go around maybe you'll come back in different forms and different bodies so we're going to explore kind of all of that today that's very ambitious but hey you know i'm ambitious maybe Maybe we can do all that. Um, okay, but first, <laughs> so it feels weird to do business on an episode like this, but you know, hey, I gotta pay the bills. I gotta pay the bills. So uh, let's start with some business, guys. Support my show on Amazon. I I do hope you do all your shopping on Amazon in an automated fashion, so that you never have to leave your home. Subscribe and save on things like toilet paper, paper towels, and just make your life a lot easier. It's it's so worth it, bros. But please use my banner on thatsdbropodcast.com. Click on my Amazon banner and then do your shopping as you normally would. It just kicks back some change to the show. Also, uh, follow me on Twitter, at Christina P. And if you're a fan of your mom's house, my other podcast that I do with my husband, please come see us live September 26th. We're doing your mom's house live at the Pasadena Ice House, but this time in the main room because the show has grown so big, so huge, that we now have to do it in the big room because tickets do sell out very, very quickly, and I recommend that you get those now. Um, And there we go. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about my mummy's death. I haven't done that yet. I really kind of haven't, you guys. This might be the first time. I mean, I have with my shrink and, like, my husband, but I don't. I think there are friends who I haven't even told um, 
just because it's been it's been quite a whirlwind. Uh, it's been quite a whirlwind. Um, even just dealing with the particulars of somebody's death. I don't I don't know if you know that, but I'll I'll get into it here in a moment. But first, all right, you know we always do a song, and I, I found this song and I thought it was so so pretty and so sad by John Lennon. Okay, here you go. Cool is that? Yeah, John Lennon. I know he he too had a strained relationship with his mom. I believe his mother abandoned him when he was a small boy, and he was raised by his grandparents. And then I think his dad was a bit of a turd as well. <clears throat> and it's weird because when I was a little kid, I was like in seventh grade, and um, my dad was a huge Beatles fan, and I was I so gravitated towards John Lennon. You know what, like you have one of these weird unconscious sort of connections with like public figures, excuse me, and now in retrospect, I can kind of see why he and I had uh, deep mommy issues. And I I think when you you have a strained relationship with a parent or a parent dies when you're young, uh, it leaves a a mark on you as an adult. I don't don't think I'll ever get over the story of my mother and I. I think it's pro- it's it's you know it's the single it's the single biggest tragedy of my of my life I would say and uh uh I you know you deal with it you deal with it you never quite get over it even as an adult I'm almost 40 years old and uh I don't think I'll ever deal or fully kind of get over the the relationship I had with my mom um, very painful, very, very shitty for the most part. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's pretty fucking terrible guys, but ah, you know what? I got to talk about it. I, I hate, I think in our culture, we don't want to talk about the stuff that gives us pain. And I, I, you know, it's, it's weird. People act like it, it didn't happen death you know like you're supposed to ignore it like when someone dies you're not supposed to bring it up to that person and i i think that's kind of not the way to do things i think it's i don't know i think it's appropriate to address this shit like how are we how are we not talking about death every single day i feel like it's it's probably the craziest thing that's going to happen to all of us and nobody's talking about it like I, i i feel like i have to bring it up all the time you know like I'm going to enjoy this latte because I'm going to die one day and I better fucking enjoy it right now. Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I remember, uh, you know, for I haven't talked to my mother. I hadn't spoken to her in eight years. She, uh, I went to see her eight years ago and she threw me out of her place. <laughs> she threw me out of her place, um, you know, and, and told me what a bad daughter I was and, and cussed me out and proceeded to do 
all the various crazy things that um, I was used to her doing. And so eight years of no communication, actually not no communication, just bizarro. It got more and more bizarro. Like she wouldn't um, use the telephone around that time. Yeah, that was like 2007. She wouldn't use the telephone. Um, and then eventually she, she would only use email. And then eventually the email wasn't, quote, safe enough for her because um, somebody was watching her in her mind. And so it got whittled down to her sending letters in the mail, like physical letters in the mail, which was so bizarro. Um, the last physical letter I got from her was um unfortunately it was like she sent it to a club that I was doing in the Midwest and I'm in the green room and the manager comes in he's like oh you got this mail I'm like what <laughs> wait why did I get mail at a comedy club and I I saw the writing on it and I recognized it and you know rather than kind of I knew it would upset me cuz reading stuff from my mother always upset me I you know against my better judgment I opened it in the green room and before my show and I just started bawling because because it was utter nonsense because she had descended into schizophrenia and she was very paranoid and very psychotic and uh, psychotic uh, meaning she'd completely broken from reality and was living in a in an alternate reality and the, the letter was like just rambling about like Hillary Clinton and um, charity and you know you may contact me but only write me at this particular address and then she had like a sticker lots of things were highlighted and underlined it was so uh, it was so horrible so I, I you know for those of us that have grown up with either mentally ill parents or abusive parents or alcoholic parents or parents that we don't really care for I think it's what I found kind of annoying over the years is people saying this to me all the time, like, well, you know, you, you really should make up with your mom because uh, you'll miss her when she's dead. And it's like, ah, <laughs> mm, I'm not sure about that. Um, and I know and I know those of you listening who have normal relationships with their parents, it's almost unfathomable for somebody to feel this way that I do. And I, and I know, I think it is one of those things that like, unless you've kind of been through it, you don't really, you don't really get it. You don't, you can't. Um, I know the title of mother. Oh, she's my, your mother. How could you not love or care for your mother? And no, I had, I have a love for her, but it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a healthy sort of mutually beneficial relationship. The kind of love I have for my mother is now like a spiritual sort of um, forgiving love because I think in her death I'm able to see now more just how sick she was and just how out of control she was and she really had no control over her actions or what she was doing. But, you know, know, my child brain still sees her and goes like, oh, you know, what a horrible mommy she was. Um, But that's because I still see her as, as a child sometimes. And not as the adult person that I am. And the adult person can rationally go, okay, I get it. You were sick. You didn't know what the hell was happening. Um, but for the love of Christ, don't don't tell people who have shitty parents, you'll miss them when they're dead because <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't miss them. Uh, in fact, 
the the horrible truth of it is um is that their physical death comes as somewhat of a relief and um i know that sounds terrible but my mother suffered a lot she was not living a life she was a shut-in she Rarely, I, I don't think she drove a car in many, many years. She wouldn't get on the freeway for many years since 2005. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I laugh because it's so horrible. Uh, yeah, they don't have lives. And it's kind of a relief when the physical body does does go just because you know that the suffering is done and she suffered greatly. She suffered greatly. She's very, very paranoid. Um very very sick person and uh, I don't know man it's it's horrible it's it's interesting because there's so much that happens in death when someone dies you, you don't know how much crap you go through in that and I'm not talking like emotional forget the grieving process you know grieving somebody's death however complicated your relationship was with them that's a whole other issue you know, my grieving process, it's only been a month since she's passed. And, um, you know, I have good days in the beginning. I had bad days, days where I was sentimental, days where I'm, I'm kind of indifferent. I think today I'm I'm okay with it. Like, you know, I kind of go and live my life and I'm, I'm a little, I'm in a place where I'm a bit indifferent. But, um, you know, ask me tomorrow. And I don't know, maybe I'll start crying on my therapist's couch over memories of my mother and I. I don't know. Um but yeah, the actual stuff you go through when somebody dies, it's like, is pretty alarming. And I, I'm just going to kind of give you a brief overview of what to expect because seriously, it's, it's like, what, wait, I have to do all this shit. Isn't it bad enough that somebody just died? I have to what now? So listen, if you're lucky enough and that this person, your parent or whoever has left a will and you've been named as like the executor of that will, and I hope you have been or, or whatever excuse me, sole heir, just for fuck's sake, it, it, talk to your parents and make sure they have a will, okay? Or a living trust, something that 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 gives you the power to go forth and close their affairs. Because if there is no will, you really, really go through the ringer um, with legal stuff and you don't want that. So here's what happened. So you get, I, first of all, I got a call from like a chaplain, just some weird guy, some guy, my mother passed, and first you get that call, and the call that someone has died is fucking weird and horrible. It's like there's no there's no great way to tell somebody somebody has died. It's so surreal. And until you've gone, I've never really gone through a death with somebody close to me like that. You know, my, my grandmother died, but, you know, it, it didn't really affect me as much. But uh, it's it's very fucking weird. And then, and then... And then this person's like, so your mom's dead. Uh, here's how she died. You know, my mother had actually heart failure. She had a really bad heart and she died of con- congestive heart failure. And the, the chaplain goes, so we got to move her body. Uh, he doesn't say it like that, but he's like, basically like we have to move her body. And there's a mortuary I work with. And if you like, I can arrange that. I'm like, yeah, please. Because at the time I got that phone call, I was in Canada. Of course, I'm in another country and unable to. Like I had just landed in Canada, so I couldn't. Like, what am I supposed to do? Get on another flight immediately and, and go right back? No. And, and the mortuary couldn't even see me until I was supposed to be back in town normally. Anyway, so it kind of worked out. 
But then, yeah, there's the whole thing of disposing of a body. I don't know if you've seen Little Miss Sunshine, but there's a great scene when the grandfather dies and they call in the the grieving counselor and she's over it. You know, she's just like, (laughs) okay, I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, Now fill out this form, this form, this form, and you got to get the body, blah, 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 blah. And that's kind of how it is. You're like, wait, this this person died and I have to make what arrangements? Uh, her social security number? I don't know. Do you know your mom's social security number? Most people don't. Um, shit like that, where you're like, uh, what? So, yeah, then you got to go to a mortuary. So they they move her body, and now, now you got to go to a mortuary with, which this one I went to, I mean, really lived up to its title of mortuary. Like, I know it's not supposed to be, I don't know, a hip cool place they're not supposed to be designed to be like cool but this was like an adams family it was like an old ass beige house it was so gross and and there was a i swear to god like the the guy that worked in the back like i caught a glimpse of him and he had a hunchback and a wonky eye and you know the 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 woman working in the front desk was clearly eating her feelings and was morbidly obese and had a horrendous blonde dye job and the guy that helps me i don't even know what his i guess morticians his title his sweet guy just so nervous to actually talk to a living person his palms were sweaty when i when i shook his hand and he you know the poor guy his, his lips were all chapped and he's could you even imagine could you even imagine that job of dealing with dead a dead person's family every day how hurra- i mean god bless this this man i i can't even imagine you, these people most people are in there crying and just you're 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 out of your mind you're, you're so confused cuz it's very confusing when somebody dies you don't know what the fuck is happening to you and he's so nice and but here's the messed up part okay here's the messed up part you're sitting in this mortuary and you know, most, I don't know, maybe in wills they stipulate how they want their bodies to be cared for or whatever. My mother didn't, but she'd always told me how she wanted to be cremated. So I knew going in like, oh, okay, you know, my mom wanted to be cremated. I already know what the plan was, but boy, oh boy, if you don't know what you want, they're going to try to sell you some deluxe packages. I mean, <laughs> talk about a great business. The death business is amazing. They have like... I don't know how many different options for coffins. And did you love your dead person? How much? Did you really love them? Did you love them enough to put satin lining in that coffin? (laughs) How about a sealant around the coffin's um, openings to prevent decay? Now they claim it doesn't, but that's really what they're trying to sell you is the idea that by putting some protective sealant around the coffin, the body is not going to decompose as quickly. Therefore, therefore preserving the body of your loved one much, much longer and you not having to deal with the eventuality of their passing. And, and that's kind of what this mortuary business is. It's, it's to prevent you, the alive person from actually having to deal with the fact that the, Dead person is in fact dead. And nobody says somebody's dead, by the way. They say soft phrases like passed on or <laughs> uh, even when they had me pick up her ashes, they're not called ashes, they're cremated remains. Uh, they use a lot of soft language to prevent you from having to deal with the fact 
that somebody's physical body has um, has died, has has gone, is is rotting and decaying. So you go to this mortuary. That's when the hustle begins. They put like pamphlets and brochures in front of you. You know, you got to pick out urns. You know, mine was simple cremation. Well, you want an urn, right? Yeah. Well, you know, here you go. That's another five hundred dollars for an urn. You want a nice one, right? I mean, how much did you love her? <laughs> and then just when you're done with that process, picking out urns, picking out a coffin. I can't even imagine what, how expensive it is to do a coffin and like have a viewing for the body. Oh my god! And the embalming and all this shit. After that, they they give me another brochure uh, for pendants. Would you like to make a pendant of your mother's uh, thumbprint? <laughs> How ghoulish. How completely ghoulish and bizarre to have to like go, do I want a wait, do I want a commemorative necklace of my mother's um thumbprint? Okay. How much is that? That's another $600. Okay, sure. Sure. And I can it's like and I had kind of been prepared for this because I took a death and dying class in high school. And I, thank God I did because I remember them telling me about this part of death. But um, be aware, people, that when you're grieving and you're in that mortuary, boy, they really want you to spend some cash. So my my counsel to you is to, if if possible, prearrange some of that stuff with your folks or with your spouse or whomever because otherwise it's like you know, you're vulnerable and, and you will make stupid, expensive decisions that you'll regret. Um, so yeah. And I've, I've talked about, I've talked about this before, but Duncan Trussell of, of the Duncan Trussell family hour, he did a great interview with his mother as she was dying. And I, oh my gosh, it's two, it's like two hours long or so. And, um, it's probably the most mind blowingly honest, and beautiful podcast I've ever heard. I highly recommend it. Um, and she talked about this process as well. Of like you have to kind of close down a person's life, meaning you have to call uh, Nordstrom to let them know that this person is dead and will no longer be shopping there. <laughs> you have to call their car insurance company and let them know that this person will no longer be needing car insurance, things like that. And Duncan Trussell's mom was so... I felt I felt this was the most beautiful, thoughtful thing she did for her children is that she did it for them. And she actually called around and like canceled all of her cards and her her bills and such so that her, her children didn't have to do that while they grieved her death. And I thought, wow, of all the gestures, that's probably the most loving thing you can do for your kids. You know, if you're lucky enough to know when you're going to die, that's pretty fucking cool. Um, and also you're going to have to know like, like I said, social security numbers of dead people. Who the fuck? Who, who knows their parents' social security number? You know, maiden names of their mother, um, names of the grandfather. What what city is was your grandfather born in? You know, for people like me who have, you know, we're from the old country. I don't fucking know what city in Hungary my great grandfather was born in. Who knows? You have to get a death certificate. Oh, it's terrible. Likely you'll have to hire a probate attorney. I have to hire some attorney to look in to see if she has, if she owes money or if she had any money. Um, I've, I've had to call and cancel car insurance, um, which by the way, 
by the way, if you really want to fuck up somebody's life, you can just call like I've called I called like her cable company. Oh, this is my favorite. I believe it was was a Time Warner. Very classy move on their part. Um, I called them to let them know my mother had passed and will no longer be watching their cable or using their internet. And um, they're like, okay, disconnected. I'm like, that's it? You, you don't even want a copy of the death certificate? No. Like, you can really ruin somebody's life. You can call and cancel a ton of shit for somebody without needing proof. Uh, don't, but yeah, let um, just take my word for it. And, um, but the best part about the cable company is the guy's like, um, I know you're grieving. I just terrible. Your mom said, can you drop off those cable boxes to our office? I'm like, no, are you out of your fucking mind? I'm not going to drop off the cable box. Oh, can you, can you wait, um, for someone to pick it up? Like, you want me to come back to my dead mom's house and wait for the cable guy to pick up the boxes? Okay. How about I put them in the trash? How about that's where they go? Douchebag. Um, and then you got to pack up a dead person's stuff. <laughs> uh, talk about creep salad is going through a dead person's shit. I mean, man, you want to feel weird? Go through your, like, it's so weird. It's so weird. You know, you find all kinds of weird, disturbing crap. Um, that you don't want to know. You don't want to see stuff about your parents. It's so just going through like their underwear drawer or like their, you know, my mother had a million scarves and just a million shoes and, and ridiculous clothing. She was very, very convinced that I was, um, as a teenager that I would really want to wear some of her older lady fashions. Um, my mother was huge on brooches she would always tell me, you know what this, what your outfit needs? A brooch. A brooch. <laughs> because, right, Mom, all the 16-year-old kids are wearing cool brooches to jazz up their uh, their goth gear. Brooch. And my mom had, like, the most garish shit clothes. Like, God bless her. She had, like, a leather jacket, and you're like, oh, that looks cool. And then you pull up the plastic further and it would have like studded sequin shoulder pads. And you're like, <laughs> what? <sighs> um, yeah. So the one thing I did find amongst her disturbing artifacts, which kind of gave me an odd sense of peace, is finding her crazy writing. And um, she, she, she kept every scrap of paper apparently ever given to her. And um, I believe what was happening in her schizophrenia is that she was hearing or seeing codes in in printed things. Like, for instance, I found, God, it's so weird, I found toaster oven directions, you know, like toaster oven instructions. And um, they had been like highlighted, circled, underlined, like certain words in the toaster oven instruction manual. And I... I told my shrink about it and she goes, well, likely she's seeing like secret messages or codes in that for her. And it's just like, wow, you, you know, um, it's, uh, as, as an adult now seeing that and seeing just how sick she was, like I said, it, it makes me forgive her a lot for, I did I didn't see that stuff just, you know, I didn't see all that, that kooky shoes stuff before and to see it really 
took a lot of the guilt out of it for me and a lot of the weirdness because you go, oh, well, that's that's kind of what um, was happening there. So, yeah, when someone dies, holy moly, that's fucking unbelievable. But the funny, the, the cool stuff I remember about my mom and I will share with you is um, um, <laughs> I talked to the people that work in her apartment building and uh, I was worried that they would judge me because I, 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 I'd been there before, but she, like I said, she would thrown me out years ago and um, cut me off basically. And I, I was kind of worried that these people would think I was like a horrible daughter because I didn't, I wasn't visiting my mom and like, but they didn't, you know, whatever. That's on my, it's on me. It's in my head a bit. And I talked to um, the ladies that worked <laughs> in her building, the security lady. And she was like, yeah, your mom was a, like a firecracker. She would call the front desk lady a bitch. I'm like, yep, that sounds about right. So I think they had an idea that my mother was a special, special kind. She wasn't exactly all there. <laughs> My mother used to fight with people over parking spaces. Um, <laughs> she would like yell at other people. She one time, I remember this. This is a nice, this is a funny, ridiculous. I don't know if it's funny. It's just ridiculous. We went to eat sushi once when I was like 17 years old. And the waitress um, sat us too close to the bathroom in my mother's opinion. And my mother got so mad and she, she <laughs> To the waitress, she called her a fucking gook, and <laughs> this fucking bitch is a racist gook. She sent me near the bathroom. I'm like, who's the racist? You're calling her the gook. Okay. Um, she took out an ad in the newspaper against my stepmother once over their last name. My, my stepmother, I don't know, asked my mother why she didn't give up her married last name of Pajitsky, and my mother took out an ad in the Hungarian newspaper to punish her. So ridiculous. Um, she was an odd character. I've, I do have positive memories of watching love connection with my mom, which was so weird. We would watch love connection every night between the hours. I think it was seven and eight. They had two episodes back to back. And my mother, excuse me, loved Chuck Woolery. And I believe had a little thing for him. Just love Chuck Woolery. And then we would watch the love boat on Thursdays. <laughs> So yeah, there's my mom. Those are her genes. Ridiculous. So a little bit about borderline personality disorder. I, I, it's probably one of those, what I think it's, it's a lot of people consider, um, they, they miss whatever, diagnose borderlines as bipolar. And those are two different disorders. Um, so the borderline part, borderline personality disorder it says it used to be, this is from the internet, used to be considered on the, quote, borderline between psychosis and neurosis. Psychosis meaning a break with reality. Neurosis meaning, I don't know, like a smaller, milder mental illness. Things like OCDs or depressions and anxieties. Um, but BPD, the thing, the problem with, with borderlines um, is that a lot of times they don't seek help because... So I mean, at least with my mother, she didn't get help. She started as a borderline, by the way. So she starts as a borderline early in life. Some of it's genetic. Some of it is through severe abuse. Um, a lot of female borderlines had traumatic sexual abuse. If you, 
if you watch Mommy Dearest, that Joan Crawford was a borderline, and Christina Crawford, her daughter, wrote a great book about it. And her mother, Joan Crawford, suffered a ton of abuse, but she never talked about it. You know, she kind of dropped bits and pieces of information to Christina about about her abuse. But yes, they usually have trauma, horrible crap in their past, and it usually begins around adolescence or adulthood. And um, this is pretty interesting. So BPD is what this is called, borderline personality disorder, affects 5.9% of adults. That's about 14 million Americans at some time in their life. That's pretty crazy. BPD affects 50% more people than Alzheimer's disease and nearly as many as schizophrenia and bipolar combined. BPD affects 20% of patients admitted to psychiatric hospitals. BPD affects 10% of people in outpatient mental health treatment, which is so, so prevalent. 14 million people. 14 million people. It's crazy, dude. That's a crazy number. Um, that means that many of us live with somebody who is a borderline or is is dealing with BPD themselves. But um, it says here that research shows that if you seek treatment um, as a borderline with specialized therapy, most people with BPD find their symptoms are reduced and their lives are improved. Um, so yeah, if, if you do have this thing, this mental illness, you can actually kind of have a, you can still have a decent life. You can still have relationships. You can still do stuff, but you kind of have to, you have to get into therapy and have somebody overseeing, overseeing you, your life, helping you because my mother never got help. And cause really, you know, my whole family is so goddamn primitive. They're from old country. And you know, my whole family was like, Oh, your mom's just, you know how she is like, uh, my mom's got something else going on, but, uh, a lot of them don't get treatment. Okay, so here's here's how you know. Here's what it is. To be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, a person must experience at least five of the following symptoms. Now, this is from the DSM-4, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental, Disor- Mental Disorders, 4th edition, uh, that the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, puts out. So you need to have five of these, not, ten, actually ten, 10 qualifiers to be considered BPD. Or is it nine? I think it's nine. Nine, 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 nine. Sorry, nine. Number one, fear of abandonment. Well, doesn't everybody have a fear of abandonment? I feel like that's pretty general. But but BPD, people with it have a severe fear of abandonment. And that's kind of, that was the core of my mother's thing is they're so afraid of you leaving them that they actually make you leave them because they lash out at you and they can't understand why you have a life outside of them. And they have a, they get really really. Um, it's like it's like if your mom's a borderline, the umbilical cord is never severed with them, and they want you to kind of serve them and live for them. It's really cool. It's it's good. Okay, number two, unstable or changing relationships, dude. Absolutely, check. My mom had friendships that lasted like a few months at a time, maybe. Number three, unstable self-image, struggles with identity or sense of self. Sure, sure. Number four, impulsive or self-damaging behaviors, excessive spending, e.g. excessive spending, unsafe sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, or binge eating. So yeah, my mom had a few of those going. Yeah. (laughs) Number five, suicidal behavior or self-injury. Yes. Number six, 
Varied or random mood swings. Yes. Number eight, constant feelings of worthlessness or sadness. Number, I'm sorry, it is 10, these things. Number nine, problems with anger, including frequent loss of temper or physical fights. Number 10, stress-related paranoia or loss of contact with reality, which, yes, that happened to my mother eventually too. Um, It's so brutal. So yeah, they don't really know what causes this stuff. Um, But I think the consensus is that it's a kind of a mixture of genetic and environmental influences. Like I said, people tend to have horrendous emotional, physical, and sexual abuse in their childhoods, but then they're also kind of genetically prone. Their brains are kind of wired for, for this type of mental illness. Um, and people with BPD usually suffer from another mental illness, like a major depressive disorder. It says dysthymia. I think I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that dysthymia, a chronic type of depression, substance abuse, eating disorders, bipolar disorder, antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and self-injury. So, um, yeah, they usually come in tandem like that. Uh, it's so horrible. Uh, it's so sad. It's so harsh. And, you know, my mother saw many doctors. She was physically very ill. And I feel like mental illness is, is one of those things in this country that is so not addressed. You know, when I, my mother saw doctors every fucking day, it seems, if, if you look at her paperwork, you know, the cardiologist, the oncologist, she, she was so sick. And I know it's not, you know, the cardiologist's job to diagnose my mother mentally, but I really wish at some point somebody had gone, hey, maybe you, you know, maybe you should see a psychiatrist. Maybe this person could benefit from some kind of, um, you know, mental therapy because my mother was, was a completely detached from reality. Um, um, and, and I, you know, I saw the list of drugs they were giving her at the end of her life and I, and they, she was on a lot of schizo, uh, meds and I really wish, I really wish somebody had done that for her at some point. And I just, and I get it. They want to patch people up and keep them running, but it's like, dude, it has to be done. It just has to be done. So, okay. So that's borderline. And what does it feel like to have someone in your, in your life that's just, like I said, the umbilical cord thing. You're always attached to them. You feel like you're always the bad kid. Um, it's like this weird guilt thing where you're, you're just never, you want your mom to love you. You want your parent to love you. And it's never enough. You can never, you're always worried about them loving you. And you're always there to serve mom. You're parenting parent. <laughs> I got to write a book on parenting the parent. It's fucking amazing. I think a lot of people do that. You don't even have to have like a borderline mom. A lot of people parent their parents. So like I said, Joan, Joan Crawford was a very famous borderline. Also Princess Diana, believe it or not, was borderline. And I could tell, I watched some of her interviews with uh, Martin Bashir. And a lot of what, how she is, she's like the, the, she's known as the waif borderline. There's different types of borderlines, like the queen, the waif, I forget the other two. Um, and her whole thing was victimization. She felt very victimized, Princess Diana, by the the royal family. They're keeping me, you know, down. They are, they're attacking me. She was always being victimized and always deathly afraid of abandonment. Uh, Princess dies. well. And very concerned with her public image. That's another thing. Same as Joan Crawford. Externally, they're very flashy, beautiful, 
um, charismatic people. And my mother was extremely charismatic and she was so beautiful and, and she could charm people. And that's the other part the, of, of, it, of it going untreated was that um, nobody kind of believed me <laughs> when I would be like, I don't know, my mom's really different at home. Um, a lot of times the, the public persona is very different because they kind of know how to behave a little bit in public. They, they're off, but they're not like psychos until they get home with their families. And that's when they, they really unleash, (laughs) you know, with, uh, mommy dearest. So Joan, Joan Crawford was way, way worse than my mom, mostly because Joan was, uh, mixing booze. My mother was not a drinker. Thank God. I'm not a drug person either, but um, Joan would drink and uh, get hammered and then do like night attacks, night attacks on her daughter, which is something borderlines do too. Actually, it's pretty prevalent. They'll come into your room in the middle of the night when the child is most vulnerable and attack, essentially attack the kid uh, because a lot of borderlines don't sleep. They can't sleep um, probably due to like traumatic memories or, or whatever. They're full of anxiousness. So have you not seen Mommy Dearest? If you haven't, I got to play this one for you. Some of you listening are probably too young to remember, but this movie came out. Um, I think she wrote the book in the 70s. So I don't know, maybe by the late 70s, early 80s. There's this great movie called Mommy Dearest. It's like a cult classic. Let's see if I can pull this. Oh, good. An advertisement. Good. Um, I have 15 seconds before I can play this fucking thing. Um, she was a real demon seed. Uh, <laughs> Joan Crawford. And poor Christina Crawford, when she came out with the book, a lot of people defended Joan. And, you know, they were like, I'm a huge fan of Joan Crawford. How dare you say all these horrible things? Oh, here we go. Here we go. No <laughs> What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you? Uh-oh. No wire <laughs> hangers ever! I'm half dead and I hear people saying she's getting old what do I get Uh a daughter (laughs) who cares as much about the beautiful dresses I give her as she cares about me what's wire hangers doing in this closet you get it no wire hangers 1981 this movie comes out and uh I listened to an interview that Christina Crawford gave on Phil Donahue's show this morning, and I was like, oh, my God, that's totally, totally very very similar to what I went through and what anybody who grew up with a borderline parent goes through. Um, the uh, Joan Crawford was very militaristic. The no-wire hangers thing came about because she had a lot of really absurd rules like that, uh, very militaristic home. And, in fact, my mother did this, not the wire hanger thing, but my mother put me on a... A rigorous schedule. Um, I remember I woke up at 7 a.m. and then from 7 to 7.05, I could brush my teeth. And then 7.05 to 7.10, I could take a piss. And then 7.10 to 7.20, I showered. It was, it was you know, neurotic like that, too. So, yeah, that's, a, that's another reason this thing kind of goes undetected, BPD, is because a lot of times these, these fuckers are good fakers, man. 
um, the public image versus the private image is pretty different. And the child, unfortunately, gets blamed for kind of ratting out the, the adult, which is amazing. Um, like I said, I told people and they were like, nah, your mom's wonderful. Your mom's so cool. I'm like, okay, okay. Um, and also what happens to borderline, borderline parents, they love having young children because the young child is dependent on them. You know, like babies are fantastic for borderlines because there's no distinction between mommy and baby. And, uh, you know, you can kind of merge identities and they love that. So when, when the child kind of starts quote being defiant and, and coming up with her own identities, the borderline mother does not like that. Um, so when I became a teenager, I turned 13, I couldn't get out of my house enough and I fuck I hated being home and she knew it and she got remarried and uh, so a nightmare. But anyway, there we go. No wire hangers, Joan Crawford. So, so, okay. So my mom, yeah, borderline. And then what happens a lot of times is, um, not a lot of times, but if, if there's a lot of paranoia in the borderline, which is what my mother had extreme paranoia, it can turn into schizophrenia, which is what happened to her. And schizophrenia is a severe chronic and generally disabling brain and behavior disorder. It is most accurately described as a psychosis, a type of illness that causes severe mental disturbances that disrupt normal thoughts, speech, and behavior. Schizophrenia is believed to be caused by a combination of genetic and environmental factors. So a lot of delusions, thought disorders, hallucinations, they hear voices that other people don't hear. My mother did hear a lot of voices. Other people, or, or they believe other people are reading their minds, controlling their thoughts, or plotting to harm them. I think that was where the, the no phone calls and no emails came in. Um... Yeah, lack of desire to form social relationships. Yeah, my mom was kind of a loner. And blunted blunted effect and emotion. I don't know what that means. Blunted emotion. Oh, no feelings. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, oh, I was going to say about the whole not being uh, addressed mental illness. I remember my, the last time I saw my mother in the hospital she was threatening suicide and I, she, you know, we were, she was in the room and, and she was like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm like, okay. But just by the way, I've heard a million times. So I was kind of like, yeah, I know you're going to kill yourself. Okay. So I went to the nurse though and I go, Hey, my mother's threatening suicide. Do you guys want to do something? I know that in this profession, if someone threatens it, you have to do something. And she just kind of looked at me blankly and did nothing. So that was pretty cool too. (laughs) So, yes, medical profession, really good with mental illness. Um, schizophrenia, there's about 23.6 million cases globally in 2013. That number was reported, which is pretty, pretty, pretty cray-cray. It's a lot of people dealing with something um, that they, I feel so bad they don't have to do that because I know there are drugs that can kind of regulate it. Anyways, so that's the... Uh, that's what happened. That's who she, she, but that's what she had. It's not who she was, but, um, that's what she had. Um, but I don't know where she is now. I, I hope that she is at peace and I imagine so because her, her, I may not listen from what I've read. The personality kind of drops and you, you go back to spirit and you're in the spirit world and, um, reincarnation. Hey, is that what happens to you? Do you go, 
Do you go up to source to the God and then you hang out for a few hundreds of years and then you come back into another body? Maybe, maybe. I mean, look, half the world, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Sikhs, uh, the New Agers believe in reincarnation. If that, there's a tons, there's like, I don't know what the half of the world believes in this. Um, and who knows? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. The belief is that our soul, our souls are continuously reborn in different bodies at different times and places. Um, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? I don't know. Do you think? I don't know. I mean, it kind of takes the stress off of this lifetime if you believe that, um, that you're going to have like a bunch more. I've read a lot about reincarnation. I'm fascinated by this subject because it's so foreign to me. Growing up as a Catholic, I never, we don't believe that, right? In Catholicism, you die, you go to heaven or hell, hopefully not hell or purgatory. But the idea of coming back over and over is pretty, pretty wild to us Westerners. Um, I don't know. I like it. I like it. You know, there's that crazy book, Many Lives, Many Masters where this therapist claims to have treated people based on their past lives. He did, he did like past life regression on people and they, they found that the traumas you suffered in your past life get carried into this life or like remnants of that. Maybe you're, you're not supposed to remember your past lives, but maybe some of it trickles into your present life. And that's why, like, let's say you drowned in a past life and that's why you have a severe phobia of water in this life, things like that. But then I've also read that some people that believe in reincarnation say that's kind of not possible because the whole birthing experience, like being in your mother's womb is, and, and, and being born again as a human, it kind of erases your memory of the past. So you don't have a recollection of it. But you do carry the karma from your previous incarnation, meaning cause and effect, the choices you've made, if you're a real shit dick in your past life, you're going to have to atone for it or, or um, actually not atone for it. That's the wrong word. Maybe um, try to correct that part of your personality. The idea being that if you have enough incarnations, enough lifetimes that you kind of burn off the ego, you burn off the karma and you return to the source, you return to, to God essentially from whence you came because we all come from God. That's the, the, the theory. And you, you take a form on the earth and the idea is that you get out of the cycle of death and rebirth because it's painful. Death and rebirth is, is not a, a totally desirable place to be. And the idea is that you get liberated from the cycle and you, you achieve nirvana, you achieve union with the one divine being. And yes, you can be incarnated as a dog or as an animal because maybe you've, maybe that's where you are in your karmic development. You're not enlightened enough, so you you spend time as an animal. If if you if you had really you know base instincts as a human, then you come back as a as a horsey or a doggy or one of my doggies that I love. It's cool. It's such a cool idea. I mean, human incarnations are considered to be the highest form which I think is probably true. Well, no, I think what is the highest form. I think birds are pretty fucking crazy, right? Or hippopotamus. Did you know the hippopotamus hippopotami are so violent? I had no idea. I saw a video on them. They'll kill you. They don't give a shit. 
but yeah, you try to become, um, you try to burn off your karma. You try to be a better person. It's interesting. I, you know, I love that Swami Sachidananda, and he talks about it in the terms of being in the fire of existence, being in the fire of life. Like you want to let life roast you is what he says. You want to suffer. You want to go through all the crap that you can because it burns off your karma and then you can be a, 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 a pure being. You can be one with God. And he views death that way too. Um, the Hindus, I believe do that. It's, it's just another passing of form uh, and actually, the Greeks believed in this too. Aristotle, Plato, Aristotle, I think, was the first to to say that energy, the anima, the soul, everything has a soul. Aristotle believed plants, animals, rocks, everything has a, a, an essence. And when that essence, when the, the physical part, sorry, breaks down, that essence, that energy gets transferred into the ground or into something else. So it's it's like we're all energy and, you know, whatever, we get transferred into some other form of it. I think that's kind of true. I mean, I don't understand how you can just come into existence and then suddenly completely cease to be, you know, as somebody, I'm, I'm 23 weeks pregnant and it is the craziest thing. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. I try to. <laughs> It's, uh, it really is just the most bizarre thing that, you know, one day my husband and I did it in Virginia beach and now I'm, I have a huge belly and there's this person kicking inside of me and it's bizarre. I don't know that. I mean, I do know this person a little bit, but there's a human growing inside of me. And from what, from just one bagak in Virginia beach, it's, it's just crazy. It's so interesting. It's so amazing. It's amazing to see a heartbeat and you're like, how the fuck, how did that even start? Who, what, how? Um, so yeah, there it goes. We come back around and around and who's to say, man. Oh, and they say you get reincarnated with the same group of people uh, over and over that you can like, so the person that's your father in this life could have been your, your brother and your last, your husband, your whatever. So you're drawn to certain people karmically over and over and over again i don't know there are some people i feel like i've known that i know really really well without having to say much aren't there people in your life that you're kind of drawn to and you're like i don't know why but i feel like we've i get it we get it there's some something matches up uh in both of us which is pretty pretty fucking cool so that's it that's what i got for you borderline schizophrenia death my mom's death going through it it's pretty 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 intense very intense time and a really ironic time a really timely time that my mother dies um just as i am pregnant with a new life very interesting right i know i asked my friend molly who's into like new age and fairies and crap i was like does this mean if um my mom's my mom dies that my baby's gonna have her soul (laughs) i don't know if i can do my mom again one more lifetime she goes, oh, no, 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 no. Your mother will be up there for a few hundred years. Because apparently death, dead person's time or spiritual time is different than human time. You know, um, in the spiritual realm, um, like a hundred years is one human year or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's a blink of an eye. It's a blink of an eye. And that's, that's really comforting to think that you have many, many lifetimes to perfect yourself. You don't have to get it all done in this lifetime. But that's why I kind of like reincarnation. Because it's like, well, if you didn't do it in this lifetime, you got the next one. (laughs) 
Takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Just a little bit. I hope so. Yeah. So there you go. Enjoy your life, kittens. Because it, it is very short. It's so short. It goes by so quickly. Mom, make your wills, damn it. Make your wills. And have a death plan. <laughs> I don't know. That's too much work. <laughs> That's too much work. How about in the meantime, um, just go outside and enjoy life. Just go go sit somewhere pretty. Go sit somewhere nice. And um, go hug the people in your life that you do enjoy. There's so many people that I love, and I'm so lucky. I have, I have a great husband, and I have great friends, and I have a couple of great family members <laughs> who I adore. And, um, yeah, man, count your blessings. Count them while you got them. <sighs> All right. Let's go out on on John Lennon again. I just love this song. I've been This has been in my head for, like, the last month, actually dealing with all of this. So uh, I dedicate this to my mama. And, um, yeah, I hope you're in a better place. Okay. All right. Later, bros.
Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with. Philosophize with. Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.